So a few months back, I did a couple of Q&A episodes uh, where we gathered uh, questions from uh, from listeners, from people on my email list, uh, and they were great. Again, we filled two episodes, tons of great questions, but uh, I got a bunch of questions about franchising uh, from uh, from both sides, right? Uh, questions on the franchisor side saying, hey, I've got a brand. I want to grow it and eventually franchise it. What do I need to know? What do I need to do? Uh, and then they had specific questions in that area. Uh, and then people were on the franchisee side too, saying, hey, I want to I want to buy into a franchise. What should I be aware? of what's the best way to do it. Admittedly, I know very little on this topic. I've spent my entire career working at the uh, independent level, right? Independent uh, owners, operators, some multi-unit groups. Uh, but really, I have no experience with franchising. So uh, what you got to do is admit when you don't know enough. I don't know enough to be an expert on this subject, but I pulled together a panel of experts. This week and next week, We are. Uh, I'm sharing this conversation uh, all about today. It's all about the franchisee side. Next week, it's all about the franchise or side tons of value on this week and next week we take a deep dive don't go anywhere there's an old saying that goes something like this you'll only find three kinds of people in the world those who see those who will never see and those who can see when shown this is restaurant strategy a podcast with answers for anyone who's looking Tuning in. My name is Chip Close, and this is Restaurant Strategy, a podcast dedicated solely to helping you build a more profitable and a more sustainable business. Each week, I leverage my 20 plus years in the industry to help you build that more profitable and more sustainable enterprise. I also work with owners and operators all over the world through my P3 Mastermind program. What are the three P's? They stand for profit, process, and progress. If you've got a restaurant that's been around for a year, at least over a year, if you're uh, generating a ton of revenue, but still struggling uh, to get consistent, predictable 20% profits, then I urge you to get in touch. That is uh, that is the problem we solve. Those are the people that we work with. Best way to do that is to visit restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. Set up a free 30-minute strategy session with me. I'll get to learn more about you and your uh, restaurant. You'll get to learn more about the program, ask some questions about the program to see if you're a good fit for the program. Again, there's no pressure to join. That's just a free call. We get to know each other. Hopefully, you'll come away with some value. And if you want to move forward, we can certainly talk about those next steps. The best way to get started is to, again, schedule a call with me, restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. As always, you'll find that link in the show notes. Thousands of restaurants across the country use KickFin to send instant cashless tip payouts directly to their employees' bank accounts the second their shift ends. It's a really simple solution to a really big problem. Because let's face it, paying out cash tips to your workers day after day, shift after shift, is kind of a nightmare. Tedious tip distribution makes managers uh, away from uh, work that matters. Uh, it's hard to track payments, which leads to accounting and compliance headaches. Plus, cash tip outs create the perfect opportunity for theft. And there's never enough cash on hand to pay out those tips, so managers are constantly having to make bank runs. Bottom line, there's never been a secure, efficient way to tip out until now. Meet KickFin. KickFin is an easy-to-use software that sends real-time, cashless tip payouts straight to your employees' bank accounts 24-7, 365. Tipping out with KickFin gives managers and operators hours back in their day. It makes reporting a breeze and protects your business from mistakes and theft. And guess what? Employees love it, so it's one of the best recruiting tools out there. Best of all, restaurants can have KickFin up and running overnight. Employees can enroll in seconds, no hardware, no contracts, no setup fees. Get in touch today for a personalized demo and see how restaurants and bars across the country are tipping out with KickFin. Visit kickfin.com demo. As always, you'll find that link in the show notes. Now, today's episode is uh, unique. It's uh, I've got three guests, not just one, and we're going to talk all about franchising. Uh, so it's a, like a franchising roundtable uh, because I know very little about this. Uh, I have spent my entire career working with independent operators, some multi-units, uh, some at like the group or small chain level. Uh, but for the most part, I haven't really worked with franchises. And uh, more and more listeners are asking me, um, 
about franchises, and I feel ill-equipped to answer those questions adequately, uh, so I'm not going to try to. I'm uh, pulling a bunch of smart people into the show with me, uh, and this is actually a two-part episode. Uh, first part's going to be today. Next part, the second part's going to be next week. Today, we're going to focus all on the franchisee side, right? So you're thinking, hey, I want to open a restaurant. Do I open my own concept, my own brand, or do I buy into a franchise? Do I become a franchisee? And we're going to talk all about that, and then next week, we're going to talk about the other side, uh, being a franchisor, right? Hey, I've got a brand. I think it'll scale. What do I need to do to take it to the next level? Um, and so, and I've got this panel uh, gathered for both this week's episode and next week. Uh, without any further ado, I'm going to introduce you to everybody, and then I'm going to let them introduce themselves, really talk about who they are, where they come from, and what makes them qualify to talk about what we're about to talk about. Uh, Lauren Fernandez, Troy Hooper, Daryl Sangster, welcome to the Restaurant Strategy Podcast. I appreciate you all being here. Thank you very much, Chip. Happy to be here. As always, Chip, good to see you again. My pleasure. Okay, so let's start with Daryl, because Daryl's the one that I was introduced to. I know Troy, he's been on the show. I know Lauren, she has been on the show. Uh, but Daryl, you are new to me, so uh, I'm going to start with you. Um, tell me about who you are, how you got started, how, what makes you so qualified to talk on this subject. Yeah, so uh, franchising has been um, my professional career. Um, so I started in the industry. Uh, I was a franchisor myself of my own system and brand and manufacturing and distribution of, of retail supplement stores. Um, and I did that for a lot of years, uh, ended up selling that. Um, and and now I'm, I'm in the franchisor, franchisee consulting space. Um, I'm Presently, even today, uh, I'm also a franchisee in another system just on an investment level. So um, I've been both the franchisor as well as the franchisee. And I'm, I'm you know, it, the industry I, is something that um, I understand. Um, so perfect. And I enjoy it. Yeah. Great. I, I can't wait because I'm, <clears throat> I'm going to learn more about this and, and hopefully be better for the clients that I work with. Um, I appreciate you being here. Lauren, uh, Give your little uh, give your little spiel. Uh, give some people some context. Who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I am the CEO and founder of Full Course. We are an early stage investor, incubator, and accelerator of growth for restaurant and food brands. And I am actually a former general counsel of Focus Brands, uh, where I was for many years before I started my own journey in entrepreneurship and became a multi-unit franchisee in the chicken salad chick system. So I have the unique perspective of having been both a multi-brand franchisor and been on the franchise side as well as an entrepreneur and now invest in that as a structure for growth for our own clients. So I'm so happy to be here and share some of my perspectives on this space. For sure. I'm thrilled to have you here. Thanks for coming back. Uh, if anyone hasn't listened to the episode, uh, it, it didn't happen uh, all that long ago. Uh, episode 209, I think it is, mm -hmm. uh, with Lauren. And it is out. It's an outstanding conversation. For the most part, I just try to get out of the way and let her be smart for the for the listeners. Um, and she she very much was that. Um, Troy Hooper, uh, give some people some context to who you are, what you do. Former chef, 30-year operator, uh, all facets of restaurants in hotels, private clubs, resorts, building new, revamping old. Um, last six years focused specifically on the emerging concept groups, uh, usually three, five, ten location uh, brands that want to scale. Uh, we have a great team at Kiwi Restaurant Partners who have 30 to 40 years each of operating, building, and expanding franchise concepts in the quick service, fast casual space, predominantly with some casual as well. So we have a fantastic brain trust of folks that I have the great fortune of uh, leading on my team, and uh, we help the small emerging franchise concept uh, get set up, set up their systems correctly, and build their uh, concept out through the model. And uh, we love being an educator. And uh, I'm a fantastic uh, fan and mentee. Uh, she doesn't know it, but of Lauren's and Daryl, great to meet you and um, happy to be here. Thanks, Chip. Yeah, for sure. Listen, um, excellent. Let's, uh, I think we've got uh, a collective uh, wisdom and experience um, that, that dwarfs many other panels. So um, I think it's really cool that you guys all agreed to take time out of your day uh, to do this. Um, Here's a good place to start. Uh, Lauren, 
just on the surface, how do you explain, right? So how would you explain to um, somebody who says, hey, I love restaurants. I've worked in restaurants for a while. I'm ready to take some ownership. I want to be in charge. Um, what makes, uh, when does it make sense to become a franchisee as opposed to being an independent and opening your own place? Yeah, I think, um, and I will say this with absolute reference for the hundreds of thousands of independently owned restaurants that are out there, the vast majority of restaurants out there actually are independently owned and operated. So I think that's an important designation. We have a tendency to look around and think that they're all franchised, but they're not. Um, and I chose that path for myself because I was a first time entrepreneur in a restaurant context. I had been a successful entrepreneur in other businesses. And as a, an executive in this space, I think I knew enough to know that I didn't know what I was doing. And I really looked at that franchise opportunity as opposed to doing an independent concept as a way for me to have a guided and safer path to entrepreneurship in a space where I didn't necessarily have the specific operational experience, the brand know-how, et cetera. So a lot of that legwork was done for me. It had been tested by the franchisor. And I also wanted to come into a community where I could learn not just from our managers and the units that we purchased, but from the franchisor and from the other franchisees. For me, the decision to sign on with Chicken Salad Chick was largely driven by that community. Um, the founder's story was very front and center. It was very much a purpose behind the brand, and I felt that from the other franchisees as well. So I think that's an important thing to note. You're not just buying into a system. I think in really great franchise organizations, you're buying into a community. Um, when they're really run like that, I think there's something really special that happens there. So, Daryl, I want you to jump on what Lauren was saying Um I think I have a sense of it, but I, I'm sure I don't understand the full scope of it. So Lauren was just talking about, you know, uh, being a first time entrepreneur in the food space. And I knew I didn't know everything. What is everything? What are the things that um, what are the things that a franchisee gets if you're the first time into it that you don't have to build from scratch, per se? Yeah. So, you know, the beauty behind uh, the franchising industry is, is the the fact that there's systems in place and, and that other people have, have built uh, these systems. And, and breaking that down a little further, what that really means is all of the the pain and the mistakes somebody else has has incurred and and learned and developed. And and then those systems end up creating that franchise. So um, independence, a lot of times, it's, um, again, there's there's a choice to learn on your own and, and um, you know, work with colleagues and stuff, but you're still experiencing the growth of, of your business through pain and mistakes, which is natural and, and human. But in a franchise system, um, you, you do bypass that. Um, you know, uh, like Lauren said, there's uh, the team component, which is a huge aspect from, from an emotional support side. But also the, uh, the systems that are in place allow you to bypass those mistakes. And, and you can literally shave years off of the learning curve uh, through a franchise system. So, Troy, you're, you're my systems guy. <laughs> You're all about this, and we spend a we spend a great deal of time talking about this on the episode that you uh, you came on to the show. We talked a lot about leadership and systems, and we'll get into this a lot next uh, next time. You know, when we talk about the franchisor side and sort of what the responsibility is to the franchisee. But again, taking the perspective of the franchisee, what so what sort of systems do they do they need to and how do you tell if you're going to come in you're going to buy into a franchise system how can you tell whether everything is really dialed in and all in place or how can you tell if only half the stuff that should be in place is into place do, do you know what i'm asking is that i don't even yep. know if that's the right question yeah that no that's really spot on i think it takes the conversation to the next step which is um is investigation right your due diligence um 
to Lauren's point, um, how do you know there's a community if you don't really dig into it? Um, this is not a, uh, you know, a buy a car scenario. It's not buy a house scenario. It's buying a business and your investment is going to be significant. It's going to be lengthy. Uh, you're committing to a long period of relationship. So you really need to dig in. And I, I guess my cautionary slash educational tale is um, spend the time, but force the franchise or to spend the time with you as well, right? Make sure that it's not all surface and fluff and uh, marketing materials and pretty pictures and uh, and taglines and stories. You know, really, really force them um, to to engage with you at at the highest levels of the organization. Quite frankly, um, you know, you got to get past the sales development manager and really talk to people inside the organization that you're going to be working with. Um, you know, the number one thing we talk about after that initial introductory period and in investigation is what we call validation, right? This is where you actually are introduced to or even on your own uh, seek out um, existing franchisees in the system. And you interview them. You ask them sort of the tough questions. You ask them, hey, has all the promises been met? Or um, what innovations have they brought to the table? Or, you know, are, do you see this brand as being competitive? going forward against what's coming up in the marketplace. You know, and then certainly you get into more nitty gritty um, where they can actually show you stuff, demonstrate, walk you around, tour you, and even potentially even share with you their numbers in the financial aspect of it. So um, that's really the next step. And that's where we see a lot of prospective franchisees and some franchisees who signed into systems not really understand they need to go deeper than the sales pitch or sort of the the tour that that the brand takes you on the journey they take you on you you really have to go deeper into every aspect of the consideration and in that you'll really learn what some of the things lauren was really honing in on and daryl touched on as well so I want to talk briefly about the probably not briefly but i, I want to you you mentioned the numbers let's let's talk about the, let's talk about the numbers because I know there are all kinds of rules about what can and can't be shared. Somebody who's looking at this and saying, hey, yeah, I'm thinking I want to, what can they expect to be able to see and what should they expect to not be able to see? Lauren, can you speak to that for a second? Yeah. So in my many years as counsel uh, in this space, I will tell you the magic happens in what's called a franchise disclosure document. That's an FDD. It's a regulated document with federal rules under the FTC, and that requires a franchisor to disclose in a very specific way certain financial metrics and also, for example, the names of all current and past franchisees. And to Troy's point, do your homework. I think that's the number one piece of advice I could give everyone is thoroughly read the FDD. You are allowed to ask for the supporting documentation for where those numbers came from, and you should be asking for that. I think also flip to the back where those appendices are with the required disclosures of all the current and past franchisees, and don't forget to call both. Um, if they will pick up the phone, I think it's willing, you, you know, have a structure with how you have that conversation. Hi, I'm a prospect. I have five questions I want to ask you. Can I have 15 minutes of your time? And be very purposeful in how you ask those questions ask for the good, ask for the bad. But I think what's also very telling is when people will not pick up the phone. And I want to highlight that um, as a piece of information is often franchisees who don't answer the phone are not answering the phone for a reason. So if you see a pattern developing, I think you should pay even deeper attention to why folks are not willing to talk to you and help bring you in to the family, right? That's part of what we do in franchising. And if you are in a good system where the franchisees are happy, they will be the first ones to tell you that they're happy and welcome you aboard, right? Uh, the more the merrier. So I, I think um, definitely read through your franchise disclosure document. Do not be afraid to ask questions, ask for supporting information and take those extra steps. I want to double down on what Troy said and make those phone calls, do your own investigation, do your own visits and really kind of do your homework too. So Daryl, I want to I want to take this conversation on the heels of that and say what sort of support, right? Typically, you, you get a bunch of support from the from the mothership, as I sometimes say. Um, 
where are areas that uh, you typically won't get support that where you still will have to sort of prop yourself up on your own? From a, a franchisee perspective, um, you know, your, your, your support will, will likely come in, um, you know, the, the, the marketing, the setup, um, you know, how to uh, manage and operate your business. Um, where I see some of the uh, support lacking is in the behind the scenes, the, the back end of, of business uh, developments. Uh, a lot of times, uh, there's a lot of focus on the operational side, but not necessarily on the um, structured back end side, uh, the accounting side, the the bookkeeping side, the 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 business nuts and bolts side of of running and owning a business. So uh, that's that would probably be where that is. Um, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, in in the franchise world, you're you're dealing with a lot of personalities, and and you know, some franchisees are um, you know extrovert and and introvert, and and some are aggressive, and and some are passive, and and each one the franchisor has to be able to read and and adapt to who they are as a individual because everybody does learn differently so um you know my my answer to that question would be i believe that the back end side of most franchise systems is is where uh it could use a little lift interesting so we sort of said this and i just want to sort of bring it to a point make sure i understand it the franchisee path is right for somebody who just doesn't has never done it before. Has never has never run it. Once uh, one sort of a, a done for you system, and at its best case, the franchisor can say this works. You follow the system. You do what we tell you to do, when to do it, how to do it. What, this is why we do it. Follow everything here, and you will succeed. Is that a fair? And I'll pose this to the entire group. Whoever wants to jump in, is that a fair assessment? That that's what should be in place. Yeah, I'll add this to it. I think that that's a fair assessment, Chip. But I'll also say as someone who's scaled within a franchise system, I had a goal to be a multi-unit operator. And so for me, the beauty of it wasn't just learning the ropes, but becoming a ninja at it so that we could rapidly scale and grow our own business and create value for my partners and for our employees. Um, So there's also that angle as well it's not just about that first unit and learning to cut your teeth i think that sometimes franchise systems can be a beautiful vehicle for growth within your own company and i've seen many multi-unit franchisees even diversify into multiple brands as well um, and leverage their own infrastructure to help support a second franchised concept where they do the same thing over again and there's a tremendous amount of return of investment when you get to scale you know over let's say 10 units or so. So I think that that's also another thing to be thinking about when you go down the runway, right? The the systems that are in place lend themselves to growth that's more accelerated as well. Yeah, Chip, I'll jump in and say yeah, that too. Um, everything we're saying sounds a little rosy in a lot of ways. Um, at the end of the day, you're still a business owner. I'm, I'm pulling off of what Lauren started really going down on is, is you are a business owner. You are running this company. These are your employees. Um, a roadmap and a foundation and a playbook and uh, a lot of support materials are provided. Um, but at the end of the day, to Lauren's point, you have to make this your own. And the best franchisee scenario is one where you take your learnings and share them. And in her experience, a chicken salad chick is a great mm-hmm. example where they were a very tight knit community. Not every brand has that, nurtures that, fosters that, encourages that. Um, but some franchisee groups get together and create their own community within a brand. And that's great. So they're all a little different and you got to find what works for you. But don't forget that this is not a done for you on a day to day. You still have to get up, put your shoes on and turn on the lights and keep the business humming. Um, you just have the advantage of uh, the previous learnings we've referenced and the materials that are provided. Now, Pop Menu has reimagined the restaurant. They're breaking the mold of the menu, taking the kitchen doors off the hinges and serving up their most comprehensive technology solution yet. 
Pop Menu Max. It comes with the previous ingredients that we've mentioned here on this podcast, right? Uh, Websites designed with SEO, marketing tools to keep you top of mind with guests, and of course, the patented interactive menu technology. This new recipe brings automated phone answering, third-party online order aggregation, waitlisting, and more to the table. PopMenu's phone answering technology, for example, has your ringing phones covered. With artificial intelligence, the simple questions that used to keep your phone line tied up can now be handled without pulling a staff member from your in-person hospitality. No more missed reservations, no more asking for your hours or missed revenue, and that's just the beginning. You have a passion for food. Pop Menu has a passion for technology. Together, it's a recipe for restaurant success. Now, even more digital ingredients are in their technology pantry, and Pop Menu is helping restaurants attract, engage, remarket, and transact with their guests on a whole new level. Trust me, if you're a restaurant owner, you need Pop Menu to take your business to the next level. For a limited time only, get $100 off your first month, plus you lock in one unchanging monthly rate. Go to popmenu.com slash restaurant strategy to claim this offer. Again, that's $100 off your first month at P-O-P menu.com slash restaurant strategy. Again, that link is in the show notes. So talk to me about, um, and again, I'll, I'll sort of pose this to the entire group. Um, talk to me about uh, one key venture, and, and Daryl, you sort of brought this up, um, so, which is what, what prompted me to say this, right? That sort of the back end side is is sometimes lacking in, in the franchises that you, you've seen. Um, and I don't know if Troy and Lauren would agree with that or disagree with that. And I'm sure it's probably uh, you get all different sides of the spectrum. Um, But a franchisee has franchise fees or or royalties or or something back to, again, back to the mothership. Talk to me about sort of the, I don't want to say constraints in a bad way, but but it's a constraint. Talk to me about the constraints that puts on a business um, and how that sort of limits profitability and, and how that has to be to be considered. And, and Daryl, if you want to jump in first, since you sort of brought this yeah. up, um, and then I'll let the others weigh in too. Yeah, you know, um, as I mentioned, uh, I'm a franchisee myself. Uh, so so right now I pay royalties. Um, I, I pay them uh, for an exchange of, of a service. Um, so I don't look at it, you know, of course you you have to calculate it into your decision to, to get into business. But at the end of the day, um, I'm happy to uh, pay those royalties so long as I continue to get the support, which is what I want. So I, you know, in my scenario, um, it's an investment. So I did fall into the plug and play. I was looking for a, an investment. So I didn't want a nine to five job. That, that wasn't my objective. But I looked at, at a different franchise model for that so that I could invest some money, follow their system, pay their royalties and get a return. And so you know, from from that perspective, uh, that's kind of you know how how my story came together with within regards to the franchise e side. Troy, Lauren, you guys jump in. Talk to uh, let's talk about the these royalties and let's and I want to understand what they do to the business. Ladies first, always Lauren. Troy, you want to go first? Oh, okay. Um, so I think the most obvious example of this where I see it is with ad fund, right? So most um, franchisees also pay into some kind of ad fund that supports the marketing for the business. Now, obviously, when you're in the early stages of franchising, you're not going to have a very large ad fund, right? Because you don't have that many franchisees. But as that pool grows, as do the sophistication of the marketing services and the scope of services that can be provided all the way through uh, social media support to a catering program, let's say. Um, And I think one thing to understand is that's a lot of overhead for a franchisor. It's very expensive to build out a team that supports not only company stores, but franchised units as well. And I caution clients all the time. I mean, once you get past 10 units, you're looking at north of 2 million in overhead easily. And so lots of folks build franchise systems thinking that, you know, it's just going to be a royalty stream all day long and miss the point that you have to actually provide support to those franchisees, right? So I think that what I will say is, as a franchisee, pay attention to the maturity of the franchisor, how long they've been around and the size of the franchise community and what the 
path for growth looks like. You can ask questions about, you know, what the expected openings are for the next year. What's what does it look like and forecasted for the year after that? And it'll help you gauge the momentum of the franchisor as you're even signing on. And it's okay to sign on early. There are some benefits. You might get a lower franchise fee. The royalty might be a little lower. The territories might be better. There's lots of reasons to jump on the bandwagon early, but be aware that you are going to be on a growth journey with that franchise or two. So their scope of services and the depth and breadth of those services may grow and get better over time. But I think you have to be wide awake as to what that looks like for you personally. And can you make up that gap if the marketing isn't everything that you want it to be right away? Can you afford to make up that gap with your own resources internally and with the franchisor's approval? So I'll just give that as one example. Yeah, I would really that's that's the biggest piece of it is goes back to my comment of it's your business you've got to run it um whatever you get from the franchise or all great helpful informational inspiring whatever it is but um are you in a system that lets you do some of those things on your own and to what degree um there are brands that are very restrictive in the use of the ip and there are brands when you're in early that are very glad to have the help really happy for you to pour in not only financially but creatively and help prove what messaging works in different markets and 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 hopefully they're allowing you to own your market in a way that you're the expert that's why they gave you that territory so so maybe things are going to be a little bit different for their brand in your territory so these are all considerations in the sort of dating process in the, in the pre due diligence era that you've got to you've got to really think about a little bit more deeply and ask yourself and be honest with yourself who am I as a business owner operator? What do I need out of this system? And what do I want to bring to the system? And is this a fit that matches all of those elements? I love that. And that sort of goes back to what Lauren was saying, right? And, and you guys have all said it in your own way, um, but come armed with, I mean, Lauren, you said specifically, like ask for 15 minutes of their time, come up with only the most uh, important questions. Is this going like you got to do a little bit of fishing, you know, to see what sort of support, what does that look like? How restrictive or open is this? Um, I mean, part of this is, you know, there are some national brands that just have um, a social media presence that just have a national presence and they don't want the franchisees to open to start their own uh, Instagram accounts. They don't want them to open, you know, the whatever it is, Pittsburgh, whatever it is, Memphis. It's like, nope, it's covered by the the whole thing. Um, and certainly we can extrapolate that out. There, um, there are companies that uh, handle all of the email marketing. Uh, and so the franchisee can't collect an email list. They're actually restricted from, um, from emailing, to your point, Troy, about the, the IP. Is this sort of what we're talking about to, to drill down and get specific? Y- yes and no. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I'll just I'll quickly just kind of clarify. So yeah, there are more sophisticated. I think the more likely you are to get that level of restriction chip, the bigger, the more nationwide, the more robust and mature that brand is going to be, right? There is just more brand equity that's accrued over time. Yeah. There are more people's um, revenue streams at stake. Often those brands are leveraging their intellectual property onto product lines and other licensing agreements and, you you know, co-branded agreements that have nothing to do with the franchise system. So their control over the intellectual property isn't just about the franchisees. It's about the larger protection of the brand as its ecosystem grows, right? And, you know, pardon, but I'm an intellectual property attorney by training, so I can't unthink it. Like, that's how I look at it. And having worn that hat while at Focus Brands, I will tell you, like, that's very important to protect all of the revenue streams coming into the brands, not just the franchise one, but you have to take the franchisees into consideration. I think the point here is if the brand is early on, the scope of services might be narrow. You, you you should get what you need. Operational support, you know, basic training in the brand, some kind of field visits, obviously, and certainly marketing support. And I could keep going, but I think those are kind of at the core of what we're talking about. What I'm suggesting is as the brand grows over time, as do those services and the tone and the tenor of them, the level of control. Um, and it's just because, frankly, more money is at play. 
way. There's more money to work with and more brand equity has accrued as well, if that makes sense. So but I want to go back and this is and this is really good. And, and I started up the whole thing saying I don't know anything about anything. So I'm sort of asking the questions that come to me and tell me I'm wrong or asking it wrong. I love it. It's great. Um, you guys have a couple of you have said this like um, at the end of the day, though, it is still your own. It is still your own business. You can't fully rely on. So let's talk briefly about that. When is, you know, if it's more restrictive, it's usually because it's a larger brand and there's more brand equity, et cetera, et cetera. I can imagine, maybe I'm wrong, tell me, I can imagine there are instances when that's less helpful at the individual unit level when they're trying to, you know, carve out space in their own small market. Or is that not the case? Is that is that typically bigger really is better and you know you don't want all that control, just focus on what you're what you're doing, stay in your lane. I don't know where the question is in there, but that's sort of where I'm thinking. You guys tell me. Go ahead, Daryl. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you know, on on the topic of that, I like I have to agree with Lauren on like there's um, you know, the the young and emerging franchise systems are young so so you know they they don't understand yet how to control this brand which is literally unknown at this stage um so then their fees are lower and and usually they you know they will negotiate on different things um but yet in order to become that massive brand they will just like a franchisee have to learn and evolve into uh, a control mechanism to protect that brand um you know, all the major systems in the world run off of a very controlled and tight ship. And, and, and there's a reason, as Lauren even mentioned, there's a lot of uh, avenues to that brand to protect. So, um, you know, I, in my opinion, it's not one is better than the other. It's, it's to be very aware that if you're getting into a young and emerging franchise system, uh, just be aware of that and, and learn together and, and be aware that, you know, your royalties will likely be less and, and your fees and, and getting into the marketplace will likely be, you know, if, if you're new, you know, you're going to get uh, uh, prime real estate, um, you know, all those things uh, in comparison to if you're the, you know, uh, 1500th store uh, on the market, you're, you're not necessarily getting the best piece of real estate. Yeah, yeah and Chip, to your question, um, you know, yes, the bigger the ship, the slower it moves, right? Or turns, right? So, you know, we do find franchisees um, get frustrated sometimes when as this thing has, if they got into a large system or the system has gotten large while they were there, um, they got used to sort of a certain level of autonomy, a certain level of input and influence, mm -hmm. and that sort of dilutes over time. Or they get into a large system and they sort of push against the grain and they're not going to win. And so that is an area of consideration when, yes, the security and uh, lower risk environment of a larger brand is a benefit, but um, maybe the uh, fresh and newness and uh, flexibility of a smaller brand, um, you know, fits your personality and what you're looking for. Um, so what we're saying is there's a lot of things to consider, right? There's a lot of variables. As I'm listening to you guys talk, you guys are talking from experience. And even I'm, I've, I've got no experience really in the on the franchise side, but uh, I certainly have experience in the the industry, and so you sort of know what to ask. And even you said, "Oh, you got to do your research. You got to learn." When it seems like you need somebody in your in your corner for this, uh, just as I'm listening to you, and now maybe it's the other franchisees that are you know that that network. But as you're starting to do your research, because I was going to ask a question about like, "Hey, how would someone get started, and what are the steps?" And you've all said in your own way, it requires research. Um, but you also need somebody, it seems to me, to sort of um, to sort of help you suss this out and to, to tell you, you know, what you should be looking at, so to speak. Is that is that fair? You're all nodding your head. Feel free to weigh in. Yeah, I think, um, you know, in evaluating brands, um, not only when we invest in them and in their ownership, but 
when I was evaluating brands for my own personal investment as a franchisee, um, I brought to the table my own lens with which to look at these deals, right? I, I knew what to look for in the financials, but there were equally as many things I didn't know to look for, and I've now learned through experience, right? So I, I am a fan, if you've never done this before, of working with a franchise broker who can bring to the table a deep understanding of what you're looking for as a business owner to go back to the point that we started this whole thing on franchising is guided entrepreneurship, you are building a small business. And so if you can work with someone who can work almost as your coach and your Sherpa and your guide in this process, and really deeply understand what you can bring to the table, what your strengths and your attributes are, and help pair you with opportunities that may be a better fit, I think that that's really huge. I had the benefit of a mentor who helped me identify some areas where, look, I, I was not an operator at the time. I didn't know how to run a kitchen. I had no idea how to measure food costs. I knew what a P&L was, obviously. But, you know, I needed to go into a brand that had a little bit more elegant simplicity and effectiveness in the kitchen side of it so that I didn't get buried and overwhelmed running kitchen operations in three different restaurants I was buying, right? So that's an example of making sure you have alignment with your own skill set, room to grow, of course, but, you know, making sure that it's a good fit even before you start really deeply evaluating the brand. Because I'll tell you right now, one thing that was off the table with me from the beginning was a full service restaurant. It just wasn't going to happen. You, you know, you weren't going to go from lawyer Lauren to full service operator overnight. I knew better. <laughs> I knew better. Right. So I think there's something there. And I, I, I think if you can't really work with mentorship and other folks in this space who have that experience, find a broker who's willing to do that journey with you. And that would be my advice. Yeah, I think the answer is and. Um, mm -hmm. The analogy is don't buy a house without a realtor. Mm -hmm. There's all <laughs> kinds of realtors and there's all kinds of experience and non-experience and there's all, you know, but, but that realtor knows that market or that niche, you know, whether in luxury or condo or, you know, campsite, whatever it is you're trying to buy, um, you, you need you need somebody who understands the market and understands the legalities and the the what you know to point out the landmines. Um, and so, whether that's a broker, an independent mm -hmm. advisor, consultant, it doesn't matter. It's really about a relationship and and getting what you need. Just keep in mind that the franchise or sales development manager, the person presenting this information to you represents a brand and is trying to do a job and sell you the dream. And that's great. And some are more uh, cloudy and, and, and lofty and, and some are more realistic. Uh, and some are very informative and some are not going to tell you anything they don't have to tell you. So it's quite varied. Um, and brokers can be the same way, but, but it's really about find that relationship. And, and I think to Lauren's point as well, it's and you should also have a brand mentee. If you narrow this down to two or three brands or one or two brands, or you're pretty sure about going with a particular system, um, you need to find somebody who's already there that can sort of um, help be a guide, be a coach. And quite frankly, if you have to pay him, pay him for God's sakes. But but you need kind of both sides of that book, you know, bookends of that information input, not only to give you great uh, advice and information on the front end, the pre-purchase, but after the fact as well. Yeah, I love that, Daryl. Anything you you wanted to add here? Yeah, yeah, and you know what the um, the mentor side, the the broker side, the advice and the guidance is is absolutely uh, where it's at. And and I'm sure Lauren and and, and Troy have both been hit up by um, friends and colleagues, you know, in, you know, wanting to get in and, and stuff like that. I know, I, I don't know how many coffee dates uh, I've been out on um, just to pick your brain about this or that franchise. And, and, and most people in the industry um, will supply that, that knowledge and that direction. Um, I, I wouldn't ever advise anyone to try to get into a franchise and figure this out on their own. Uh, seek seek the support of somebody like a Lauren or a Troy or, or myself or a broker, you know, or a combination of somebody that you know in the industry to to tap into that knowledge and guidance. Uh, because 
you know, there are personality traits that, that come into this. And what do you, you know, what do you want uh, as a business for, um, you know, franchising? What, you know, there, there's, there's just so much in it that I would absolutely say that the mentor side and the broker side is a key to, to this. Of course, the, the calling of the franchisees, um, you know, Lauren touched base on this. It's absolutely a red flag. Um, you know, a, a franchise system that is growing has happy franchisees. Uh, a franchise system that's not growing doesn't have happy franchisees, and 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 there's a reason. So there's a reason uh, they're not picking up their phone and talking to you, um, or or you're you know if if you're trying to extract uh, information off the FDD and call these guys and and you're you're not reaching them, you know there's there's reasons behind that. So um, you know it's pretty simple. When when a franchisee is making money and happy in their culture they're going to tell everybody and they're going to welcome you in and, and you know the more the merrier the brand gets bigger their own investment gets um bigger you know everything so this is maybe a pollyanna question but i'll ask it anyway what sort of um what sort of timeline is realistic aside from the build out and and all of that like when you say, hey, yep, this is what I want to do, how long does that process typically take to, to onboard with a franchise and say, yep, you're on board, now you can start building your thing? And, and talk to me a little bit about that process, because um, I, I feel totally in the dark about it. Oh, so <laughs> I go was ahead. just going to say that's a loaded question, Chip, because construction yep. takes forever now. I think we're still seeing some echoes of you know supply chain issues on construction and labor. Um, I think what would be fair is let's say you've vetted a brand, you've decided to sign a franchise agreement, you should set aside at least two months for training um, for both you and for your management team if there are more than one person or persons running the operation, right? So often you have to have a couple levels of certification even within your own organization of who is allowed by the franchisor to run the location, right? So there's that. Okay. Um, I tell people to budget at least 18 months to a year for development and that includes the training process, but that's sourcing real estate, design, you know, I think on the on the long side of things, it's definitely a two year journey. I think on the shorter side, maybe 18 months, maybe. Um, and that's perhaps if you got a turnkey location or you're converting an existing location, things things can happen that move a little faster. Um, but it's not it doesn't just happen overnight. Now, look, all different types of franchises exist out there. Some of them are service-based. Not all of them are restaurants. You know, there's a wide swath in there that we're talking about. But in the yep. land of kind of QSR and fast casual, that's that's what I would say in my experience. Yeah, Daryl, you had something to add to that. Yeah, no, I I agree. Um, you know, the the length of time uh, is a massive variable um, from a franchisor communicating with the franchisee perspective in the onboarding i think it is critical that um the franchisor understands what their typical timeline is so that they can make some statements and some promises to their new franchisee knowing full well that you know what this is going to be you know uh typically an 8 to 12 or 16 month process whatever that case may be um because again there's there's months of uh, lease and, and development uh, negotiations that are completely uncontrollable. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll back up and, and uh, cover the front end of this question, which is the sales investigative due diligence journey uh, on average today for a restaurant salesperson, so somebody who's representing a franchisor and a brand and uh, starting to have a conversation with you day one, that journey for most brands is a, on average five months right now. Ooh, so that's. A lot. that's yeah, that's the, you know, you know, they they might give you a map. I even see on some of the websites there's a little bit of a a journey map and they'll say, you know, 2 weeks to do this, 3 weeks to do that. They give you a window to do your own due diligence and your FDD review and all that kind of thing. Then they go to legal. They kind of map this out for you, but 
but realize that this is a very large investment for most people. Um, most first-time franchisees in QSR, particularly fast casual, are investing life their their life savings. Um, they're usually uh, pre-retiree, um, you know, and and want to take a chunk of their savings and and give a go and and take a risk and make an investment. And so, um, you know, there is some consideration periods and some some massaging conversational periods that that play into it. So. From the day you decide this is something I'm interested in to the day you open your restaurant franchise is is probably every bit of two years. Yeah, great. Um, we're coming to the end of our time here for this first episode. And again, this is the first of two episodes. But I want to wrap up by giving each of you guys a chance to tell me what I didn't know enough to ask. What haven't I not asked about um, that I should have asked about that you'd like to sort of tell the listener and again the, the listener to this show is a potential franchisee someone who's saying hey i might open my own place i've got an idea or i might explore the franchise um path um and i'm just deciding which one and i'm trying to understand what i can expect so what what else did i not think to ask i'll start with lauren yeah, I think ask questions about required employees and sort of the staffing situation because it's very difficult for you to build a model for a business as an owner and understand what your take-home salary is going to be if you don't really understand the staffing and labor model. Um, that is a huge variable that a lot of franchisors are reluctant to comment on, but I think you need that piece of information because this isn't just about operating costs and food costs and pricing. You know, that, that labor piece is very important too. And understanding what the unit level economics look like if you as an owner are in position as the manager of the unit versus you are just an operator and you have a team running it. Um, I, I think many people to Troy's point buy this as sort of an investment um, and don't clearly understand how much work it's going to take on their side as an owner or whether or not they need to be in position to make the unit level economics work. And simply put, are you buying yourself a job or are you buying yourself a profit stream? And I think um, I would submit that you almost always have to assume that you're buying yourself a job. It's very difficult to start a small business and for it to be mailbox money overnight. It almost never happens, especially in restaurants. So I always caution people, if you're buying a restaurant um, to collect a check, you better have a name tag too, because uh, most owners I know are active in their business and there's no way around that. Great, great. Daryl, what what did I not think to ask um, so far? What, what else What else should we be talking about? Well, you know, I, I think the, um, um, the point of the independent or the franchise model uh, question is, is the a big one to to look at and and i i think that um you know uh, of course i'm i'm a fan of the franchise industry uh but i would caution any of the viewers that uh, you know if if they're struggling with do i do this independently or do i do it as a franchise system uh, i would absolutely hands down go with the franchise system and and you know reinforce the fact that again it's it's about the learning curve and and you are you know investing in a business this is this you have to build this thing uh, just because you're buying a franchise doesn't give you the right to print money and, and just sit back on your beach chair um, you're going to have to roll up your sleeves, but at least you have some guidance and some direction and some coaching and support to go along with this. Otherwise, if you go with the independent route, you're on your own, and it's it's going to be a yeah, tough slot. I think that's fair. Uh, great, Troy. Same question to you. Yeah. <clears throat> so what, one person we left out of the ecosystem I want to call out um, is is legal counsel, right? So um, we talked about a broker um, advisor or consultant on the front end to source and guide and educate. Uh, we talked about the need for a validator. You need to speak to multiple people in the system that can tell you the truth uh, and, and take some of the gloss off of the shiny sales brochure and, and sales pitch you're getting and, and get into the nuts and bolts of the reality. We talked about um, an internal mentee uh, in the system, a community, uh, having people that have done this in this system and will help you aside from the franchisor. But there's a lot to this from a legal and regulatory standpoint. I mentioned the realtor please don't make a phone call to any for lease sign in a strip mall uh, without a commercial restaurant specific realtor on your side and Chip, you and I and Lauren have a friend who we can refer you to uh, or many. Um, the last part though is um, Uncle Bob, your family attorney 
or the lawyer, the attorney that um, your kids play baseball, you know, together uh, is not necessarily the right uh, counsel for guiding you through this process. Franchising is a very, very specific contract-based, long-term relationship-based agreement. There's a lot of regulatory. There's a lot of sensitive information around disclosure, what can and can't and shouldn't shouldn't be shared. Um, and there can be negotiation, and sometimes there's zero negotiation uh, by the franchisor. So uh, you need somebody who really understands not only franchising, certainly at the very bare minimum, but most likely franchising in the restaurant space or in the industry industry specific that you're um, considering. Because I think um, that's the team and you have to have all of that on your side to have the proper amount of information to make this level of an investment. Yeah, great. Um, I'm gonna go around and ask one more question because we, I think, haven't talked about this enough and it's finally, um, it's finally something I'm hearing a lot of people talk about the last, I'll say, five years. And this is the idea of an exit strategy. I spend a lot of time talking with the independent operators that I coach with about an exit strategy because it just makes too much sense to me. Talk to me about, in a franchise model, how do you think about it as a franchisee? And from you guys, certainly as a, on a, in a consulting capacity, how do you like to, to talk to, um, how do you like to, to talk about this and I'm assuming you talk about this. Lauren, kick us off. Yeah. Wow. This one's right in my lane. So I um, have seen a number of deals of every color, um, both independent and franchised. And what I will out of the box say is generally speaking, as a franchisee, be aware that there is almost universally going to be a right of first refusal to purchase your units by the franchisor. They are not obligated to do that, um, but they may exercise their rights. So you may want to go shop the brand to the marketplace and be uh, surprised pleasantly or otherwise to find out that the franchisor wants your units instead. And that's a hmm. thing. It happens. Um, you know, and so those terms are written into franchise agreements on purpose. Um, it also allows a franchisor to purchase the units and refranchise them to somebody else. So the minute you put your units up for sale, you have to understand that your market is the entire universe. It's actually got to go through a gate first where the franchisor either exercises their right of first refusal and also has a right to approve a transfer to an incoming franchisee. So you've got some caveats. Now, as such, when we're talking about valuations, as a general rule of thumb, if your size of your franchised organization, let's say you've got north of eight units, whatever the multiple is in the marketplace for that as an independent concept, you can take about a point and a half to two points off of that valuation because it's franchised. And I know that sounds kind of mind blowing to people, but that is because of the very things I just discussed. The market is limited in who the buyers can actually be. And you have limitations yeah. in the term of your franchise agreement. Now, it's just something to be aware of. It's not scary. It's not always a bad thing. Sometimes it's a great thing. I sold my units to the parent company. It happens all the time. Um, so I just want to make that designation and that distinction there. Independent brands that grow to that size, the whole brand is probably being sold at that point with multiple company stores and maybe even a few franchised units. And as such, there's a wider universe of potential buyers. And that's why you see those deals typically when they're at scale and they're able to be purchased by private equity are going to have a valuation that's a couple points higher than their franchisee counterpart, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's helpful. Daryl, mm -hmm. what do you, what, talk to me about exit strategy, how you think about it and how you coach on this. Yeah. So, you know, of course, um, you know, I, I, I don't recommend ever getting into any business decision franchised or otherwise without having your um you know your plan a your plan b and and your exit uh figured out um so from from that perspective um of course um it's it's something that uh is a must uh lauren everything that you just said is is absolutely correct in 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 the franchise industry like um you know a franchisor has to protect uh their brand so you know if um let's just pick on bikers for example say somebody comes to the table and has millions in cash and you know uh, 
just because they can afford to buy a franchisee's business doesn't mean that the franchisor will let that person in because they have to protect their brand uh, to that. So, of course, and, and um, you know, but then the other thing that I do caution uh, franchisees on is that your franchisor is not your exit strategy because when I was a franchisor I had franchisees say well you know what I you know I kind of want to move out to the west coast or something like this you know will you just buy my business and, and you know so I can just head out and it's like you guys like <laughs> I have my own franchisees to to operate I have my own corporate stores to to run uh, I'm, I'm not your exit strategy so um, yeah, so from that perspective, uh, don't look at the franchisor as the exit strategy, uh, but absolutely do create one uh, before you get into So business. can I ask another silly question before I bounce to Troy? So you're going, you're going a couple of years, it's not going well, you're going to try and look for a buyer, but no one's going to buy a failing business, the franchisor isn't going to necessarily buy the unit back. Is it realistic to say you just then close? That's it? Sunk costs, you lose out on it, just like any other business. It's often what happens, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Great. So that happens it, more you know, often. Um, that happens more often than not. Yes, I would say so. But I say would also say franchisors have to report those closures in their FDD, and I would hope and and submit um, that most franchisors will work very hard with a franchisee to make sure a closure is not on their books. But I have equally seen many who don't offer assistance or don't have a program in place or a strategy to help save failing stores. Um, and I think that that's something you should be looking for. And maybe that's a good question to ask, you know, of a franchisor that you're vetting, like, hey. What happens if a store is underperforming? What kind of support do you offer yep. in addition to your normal support to franchisees who are underperforming? Um, but I wouldn't agree with Daryl. Like, never assume a franchisor is going to bail you out. That is not what they're there for. Absolutely. I love it. Mm -hmm. Troy, I'll let you weigh yeah. in on the exit strategy question. Yeah, you know, we, we often run into, um, you know, a reality check brick wall uh, when a franchisee is looking at this when when somebody's properly giving advice to say um, you have to have the what ifs to Daryl's ABC scenario w what if this what if that you know there's a lot in that and so everything you are investigating considering weighing and learning about has to be through the lens of great it's gonna happen it's gonna work all is gonna be good but you got to think about worst case scenarios and variables outside of your control and and what what is the brand's um, strength, right? What is what, what what happens if the brand itself is struggling and can't seem to gain traction, etc.? Real estate's a big piece of this. Um, this is why you need a lawyers, why you need realtors. You know what happens if you do fail in two or three or four years on a ten-year lease, and did you make a personal guarantee? Is the brand? I'll give you an example. Subway's famous for Subway being on the lease as a co-lessee, so that if you do fail, or if they don't want to renew you, or they do want to uh, uh, pull your, you know, your your franchise. Uh, back from from your perform you know poor performance or whatever um, they have the ability to keep that store open without ever closing it right they send a SWAT team in and they take over the store so this is in the fine print of the FDD and the agreements and etc that has to be considered but yes you need to have the thought of okay I'm signing a 10 year franchise agreement a 10 year lease I'm on a personal guarantee for X period um, what are the implications if things don't work out the way we hope they work out or if some god forbid something bad happens in your life or medical or otherwise you have to have these contingencies so um, insurances are important and, and and across the board there's a lot of considerations that i think when you look at the 20 line item pnl you don't really think about the finer points that that add up within that um that consideration yeah i love it guys this is great this is uh, this has been the first part of, again, a two-part uh, conversation, uh, a roundtable. I've put together a panel who are uh, much smarter than I am uh, in regards to franchising. I always try to surround myself with very, very smart people. We've done so today. Uh, again, this is a, a franchise, uh, franchise roundtable. 
this first episode of two episodes is all about uh, looking at the franchisee side of things. Somebody says, hey, I, I think I want to uh, buy into a franchise. What should they be looking at? What are their considerations? All of that. I think the big takeaway is you need counsel. Um, you need to ask a lot of questions. You need to get good at asking a lot of questions um, to mitigate that risk. Really make sure you understand what you're getting into. Um, I'm going to put contact information for all three, for Lauren, Daryl, and Troy. That's going to be in the show notes. Uh, I'm going to let them share more information at the end of next week's episode. So you got to come back. you got to tune in. Uh, they'll have more to share then. But, uh, but rest assured, all their information uh, you can find in the show notes. I hope you come back uh, next week uh, for the next part, the, the second piece to this conversation, where we're looking at everything on the franchise or side. Um, really, uh, what should a brand um, be thinking about looking to do? How how do they grow and how do they know if they're ready to grow and if franchising is the the right path as opposed to opening a bunch of corporate stores. Um, Lauren, Daryl, Troy, I appreciate you being here. I look forward to having you back next week. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Chip. Once again, I want to thank our distinguished panel for uh, taking time out of their day to sit and chat with me again. This is the first of two episodes all about franchising this week and next. Do not miss the follow-up conversation on network next week's episode of the Restaurant Strategy Podcast. As always, I appreciate you guys being here. My name is Chip Close. This is Restaurant Strategy. If you are interested in learning more about my P3 Mastermind, get in touch. RestaurantStrategyPodcast.com slash schedule a free 30-minute strategy session. I'm I get to learn more about you and your restaurant. You get to ask questions about the program. We'll see if you're a good fit for the program. If we decide yes, then we could talk about next steps there. But that free call is the best way to get started, and there is no pressure to join us. Just get on a call. We'll, we'll chat. Uh, I, I'd love, I love getting to know uh, more of the listeners, getting to hear your stories. Again, visit that website. That link is in the show notes, and I will see you next time.